Welcome to Typecast, Boston's new play podcast. I'm your host, Darren Evans, the Managing Director of Boston Playwrights Theatre, the home for new plays in Boston. In this podcast series, we'll be diving deep into the new play ecosystem of Beantown, talking with playwrights, directors, actors, and theater makers of all types about the process of birthing a new play into the world. In this episode, we are joined by Daniel Blanda to discuss his new play, Gone Nowhere, which opens at Boston Playwrights Theater on November 4th. Daniel is a 2021 graduate of our MFA playwriting program, and Gone Nowhere was scheduled to be presented last year, but the pandemic had other ideas, so it is opening this fall instead. He is a playwright, screenwriter, and journalist from Alpharetta, Georgia. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Dan might correct me later. And he has written and directed a number of full-length, one-act, 10-minute, and one-minute plays, as well as a fully produced pilot for television. His writings tend to touch on religious instability, masculine frailty, societal defiance, and other two-word phrases. <laughs> also with us are the two actors who are shouldering this entire play together, Mark Pierre and Sam Wharton. Mark is playing the character of Riley, and Sam is playing Hunter. Welcome to Typecast, Dan, Mark, and Sam. Hey, how's it going? What an intro. Well, thank you so much for having us. My goodness. Uh, it's great to have this whole team here to talk about this play. Uh, I want to start at the beginning. Uh, that's with you, Dan. Uh, at one point, you were looking at a blank page or a blank screen, and then you started writing something that has ultimately brought us to this production of Gone Nowhere. So what happened? What was the spark? And you know, maybe more broadly, what is your practice of starting to write? Like, how do you start? Well, that's, it's so interesting because an other, I'm still on an other two word. Uh, <laughs> that was awesome. Um, this play uh, has, there's been, usually there's something that kind of hooks me into like, well, that's interesting. I'm curious about that. And it could be a character that could be a, an event. Um, um, I, or it could be um, an image. And in this case, the image that began is actually an image that is no longer a part of this play. Um, I imagined an idea of, a, of a, a, something hunting in the audience. I imagine the idea of, of scaring an audience because the concept of horror was just so foreign in the theater. Uh, it's a very separate thing. It's not like, it's obviously not film. It's hard to do it. You can't do a jump scare because there's a distance, but I was like, how do I scare an audience? Which is an interesting thing. And then the, this image appeared to me of a ballerina being hunted. And I don't know what that, that looked like, but I was like, I'm intrigued. I'm going to go from there. And from then you talk about the religious components of my, my uh, writings. I, I became obsessed with this concept of original sin, this concept of inherited, um, masculinity, violence, whatever you want to call it, this concept of, of being born and, and, and it being an inevitable cycle. And that's really what kickstarted Gone Nowhere. And it's become something completely different as every play does. It's been a two and a half year journey through BU, but, and um, workshops and, 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 you know, seminars across, but that's what kind of began. Uh, do you, 
does that feel bad that you had an initial image that's no longer in the play? You, you, or is that like, great, like you started somewhere and you've gone somewhere totally new? I've gone nowhere. Uh, <laughs> no, that's awful. Oh. That's terrible. <laughs> That's yeah. fantastic. Oh, yeah. We had to get that. We had to get Thank that one in you, yeah. before the end of the podcast. Thanks for getting that out of the way, Dan. No, I don't think it's anything wrong with with that. It's a springboard, really. You know, uh, it got me to where I'm going. Um, you know, it's an idea, and that's going to evolve and take shape. And then, um, you know, it, especially during writing during a pandemic year, you don't know how something's going to look on the stage necessarily or in the, in the hands of, of two capable actors or, or it just evolves and changes. I was, you know, uh, one year of writing was less productive than two weeks with these two, uh, just because I, I didn't have to deal with internet connections and I didn't have to deal with, with, um, you know, people cold reading things or, or, or what have you, or you're just kind of left alone with your thoughts. So I ended up overwriting the play a lot. Uh, and it was at one point a hundred and something pages, and now we've pared it down to a, a, a tight sixty right now. Um, so it, it, I don't feel bad about losing anything. If anything, I feel like it got us closer to where we were going. Um, and uh, it's actually a piece of theater versus uh, a dissertation. <laughs> well, I as an audience love a tight sixty-page play, so uh, I'm sure there are many others uh, like that. I want to talk a little bit about subtext, as I think there's quite a bit of it in this play. There are a lot of hints and uh, allusions in this play to events that happened in the past, sometimes the distant past, some recent past. And we, the audience, don't necessarily always get the full story, just little bits and pieces over time, creating some mystery. So how do you decide what to reveal to the audience and, and when? Like... How much do you want the audience drawing their own conclusions about, for example, backstories? It's a it's a fine line because sometimes you want to obviously um, draw out something uh, to see if there's that reveal. But sometimes if that payoff isn't there, then I've just wasted your time. Uh, but uh, you know, as uh, as the wonderful Melinda Lopez taught me, and she as she said in, in our classes, she's like, "Why don't you open the suitcase sooner?" Right. And so and what she meant by that is, why don't you reveal from there and then discover what's instead of holding on to a secret, you know, just put it into the room, release it. So there's that balance of when to open the suitcase and when to keep it shut. Uh, when we're talking about the past, how specific we need to be about the past. But I think something that I think most people would, would agree with is that uh, a, a person's imagination is greater than any you know, spectacle. Right. The especially in the theater, uh, the and, and, and inference is all you need. Right. And the last thing I want to do is spoon feed to an audience what happened between these two or saying, don't you remember on on September 12th, 1994, you know, you said, you know, we don't need that. These two understand and have that history between them. So if I can leave details and breadcrumbs, it, um, it actually loads the play a little bit more. So uh, uh, sometimes, you know, it's the unspoken is is ways ways heavier um so subtext is fun so mark and sam related to that your actors working on this new script um are you filling in that backstory yourselves are you guys talking about that in a rehearsal like uh how important is it for you as an actor to like know all the details of the like the past relationship of these two people yeah i think uh 
I think I think what's uh, what's been great is that whenever we've had questions about what's happened in the past between these two, you know, it's it, the playwrights in the room and we can just say, Hey, Dan, what happened? Um, <laughs> and that's, and that's helped some of the process. And I think it's also, um, and even kind of reflecting on some of the rehearsals, it's helped. It seemed to have helped Dan to understand what, what the actors are gathering from, from the text itself. But I think there's still been a lot of room for us to, to really flesh out and define these characters individually. Yeah. Um, and like, I feel like conversations are, are always happening, you know, whether it's between me and Sam or between me and Dan or, or all three of us or and, and, and Noah and Bob, like everybody in the room, we always are invested in the clarity of that history. Um, Cause we know that we know that the audience or they may not get fully everything, but that hint that's going to make you lean in and that's where that's where like our job is to do kind of like you know to give them enough subtext to make them want to lean in and want to know more and more and more and more and are all the questions going to be answered for them can't say but it's enough to like make you intrigued by their story and who these people are and and uh root for them all right well you talked a little bit about this the three of you have been working on this play together as a group with a couple of weeks now along with the director noah putterman I just want to dive into the process a little bit for the, you know, for the benefit of our audience, you know, when you're working on a uh, previously produced script, you're not allowed to change anything. Like you get the script and that's what you're doing. Um, you have to do it that way as written, but it, on a new play, that's still not quite a hundred percent there yet. You're still working th some things out. Changes are happening in the rehearsal room. Uh, just, Give us an, a little insight, the inside scoop as to like, what does that mean in the rehearsal room? How are you, how are you all doing that? Is it messy? Like, is it I, terrible? I think, like, is it awesome? Like, tell us about it. <laughs> you guys go ahead. Cause I've put you through the ringer already this week. I no, it's, no, I don't, I, yeah, it's yeah go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. Yeah. It, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a fun process. You know, it's a very, like theater is a collaborative form. Right. And I feel like what we're doing is like at its utmost what theater is like these, I think what six people are in the room, like get between our stage. But yeah. And, you know, we all come in with our um, our own takes on different uh, parts of the play or the play itself. And then we try to find like a melting pot of all those ideas and and create something visceral um, and um, thought provoking. Um, you know, like it's, as we all know, like it's a theater is, it's, it's entertainment, but it's also can, you know, get people to have different conversations with themselves or with different conversations with their friends or family members or what have you. And like, maybe realize, oh, wow, this person that maybe I thought I had a handle on, I don't know, you know, it opens up a whole new scope of things. So I feel like when we, the, the process for this piece has just been uh, open conversation, open heart, and um just a willingness to play in the other if that makes sense you know what i mean and then and that's that to me is really fun and interesting and i feel like we're every day we we go more and more into that yeah and it's been really useful to have um that and i really just want to highlight this and something and something that you said, Mark, is that collaborative spirit. You know, I think, Dan, you've been very open to our input um, yeah. because, you know, and I think that you you recognize that we, we're living in these characters every day and we have uh, 
you know, some, some, uh, perspective that you might not have intended. And it's, uh, it's been really cool to be able to develop this with you. Um, and also, uh, it feels like I feel like everyone in the room has taken some form of ownership over their role. And it's uh, it's it's really nice and refreshing to, to be able to do that, you know, after being away from the rehearsal room for a couple of years. <laughs> too. I, I think I think to, to you mentioned intended, you said the word intended. And I feel like that's something that I've learned, you know, the rehearsal process in the development process is actually the scariest part for me. It makes where actually I'm normally the most uncomfortable um, because I don't want to put my preconceived ideas of what this play should be onto a piece because you have talented actors and talented tea come in like Noah uh, to direct. And, and, and all of a sudden the play has new, you realize with the intentions or with the, with, uh, or using the words that I put on the page in a way that I didn't intend them to be can elevate the material to a new level. And so there's this process of release, especially in this one, uh, when there's oh, is so much subtext and there is so much going on behind the, the words that you're going, what are we really saying here? And so we talk about this development process when it's not a finite script. Uh, plays are what's the what's the famous line? Is plays aren't finished, they're abandoned. Um, this process here is that we went we came in we watched these two did an amazing read, uh, like a stumble through, which was beyond uh, where we thought we would be at a play. I think it was like Thursday night. And Noah and I are watching, going into the last scene. In the last scene, we realize their emotional lives, these two had built up and worked so much that I was actually hindering them with the scripts that they were given in that last scene. They were, they were past that, we were developed there, but it was also not saying what we had intended to say. So the ending wasn't what we, Noah and I began this process with when we were developing it. It just wasn't saying. So we sat down as the six of us in this collaborative space on Saturday and said, the ending's got to change. The intentions has to change. And the two of them, the, the two, these two right here, look, all right, we're going we're gonna to see what work we did for the week before sticks and what we need to alter. But we realized as a team that this isn't the story we were trying to tell and changes needed to be made a week before tech, which is why I'm sitting here writing prior uh, to make sure that they have the tools uh, for this week. The record, uh, Dan was in fact late for this podcast recording. Uh, I, feel like I just want to put that on there, but, but we forgive him because what he was doing uh, was actually rewriting the end of the play. <laughs> so that's like that's the only excuse that yeah. I would have allowed, uh, Dan. So I had a very uh, yes. important task that was interrupted. It was French toast. But, uh, I, I have forgiven everyone for that. So. <laughs> All right, we, yeah, we appreciate that. Yeah, you can tell we don't have fun as a group either. You can tell we're a very, yeah. we, we haven't had a good time at all. No. Right now, we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsor. But when we come back, we're going to dig in even deeper. We're going to get these amazing actors to read a few pages from the script. Then we'll talk about the scene and what function it serves in the play and more. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Listeners. If you're like me, then you love good old-fashioned popping corn. I have popcorn while watching a movie, as an afternoon snack, for dessert, and even as an aperitif. If I could, I would have popcorn with every meal of the day. And if you're also like me, you know that sometimes a popcorn craving hits when there is no microwave in sight, like 
when you're hiking or when you get bored in the middle of watching a play. That's where this month's sponsor, Pop2Go, comes in. Simply plug the portable popcorn popper into your cell phone, pour in a packet of kernels, and watch as it makes the perfect serving of our favorite snack. Plus, you can add flavor packets like movie theater butter, caramel apple, and spam. I take Pop2Go with me everywhere now. The other day, I was feeling snackish during my monthly bikini wax and unibrow shave, and Pop2Go hit the spot immediately. As a special offer for Typecast listeners, Pop2Go is offering 22% off a Pop2Go popper and three free packets of Spam flavor. Just go to poptogo.com slash typecast. That's pop, the number two, go.com, and use the code NEWPLAYS to get your exclusive discount. Don't ever be popcornless again. We are back. Let's have a little fun with a short scene from the play. Sam and Mark, I'm going to ask you to read a couple pages for us, and the four of us can talk about what's going on there, maybe what has changed from earlier drafts, etc. We're going to do a couple of pages from scene three. It's from the first half of the play. Uh, Dan, maybe uh, can you give us the smallest bit of context for the beginning of the scene? Absolutely. So. Uh... For a bit of brief, brief backstory, uh, Mark's character, Riley, uh, has arrived at Sam's character's Hunter's home uh, in rural, rural Minnesota. Uh, His nearest uh, neighbor is four or five up the path, uh, minutes, miles, we're not sure. Uh, But uh, Riley um, and and um, Hunter, though, they share a common thread and have had been the best of friends years ago. They haven't seen each other in about seven years. Uh, so the first scene, two scenes, is really them trying to, you know, find that thread again and, and reunite. And so this this is really the scene that kicks off where that that really kind of that bond begins. Uh, and Riley's also shown up, shown up uh, under uh, mysterious circumstances. All right. We won't reveal any of those circumstances. So actors, uh, I'm going to ask you to take it away. I believe you've got your scripts in front of you. We're just going to take it to the bottom of page 26 there. And, and uh, whenever you're ready. No, no, Blackout. I'm absolutely blacked out. That I, was. I still knew what was but going on. I'm not saying you're wrong. Guys, all I, roided up. Six, you didn't have I to did hit have me. to hit you. No, you did if not. If I didn't hit you, you really... they were going to cave your skull in. Would not have happened. Then, then, then at they all. would keep my schooling, but because I hit you. Oh, so I should thank you. Always picking a fight. Poke, poke, poke. For knocking poke, me out poke, cold. Poke. You broke my I nose. I saved our asses. But you didn't have to get a drink with them after. Well, I had to make it look convincing. All right. Amazing. There it is. Two pages, lots of overlapping dialogue there. So what have you been working on? Has that, is this scene changed a lot, Dan? Is this a uh, relationship? Have you been working with this? Like what's going on with this scene and what's happening? Sure. So um, this actually was initially just a transition and it wasn't anything. Uh, it was, it was just going to be a transition between scenes, but then I realized this was really a great way to kind of kick off the scene and, 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 and launch the right energy into where we're going. And it, it really showcases that, um, the fraternal bond these two have, right? It, it is, uh, there. this play really uh, showcases the different 
types of masculine friendships, I think, and what what's, whether that's what society expects or what is actually, it's kind of, it has that conversation throughout. So this is kind of, um, uh, it begins a more degenerate portion of their relationship and it, it's in a, in a playful way. Um, but it, it began is simply just, a, uh, you know, I needed a transition from scene to scene. I needed to get people off stage. And, and it was actually something that wasn't, that was off stage. It wasn't, it wasn't seen on stage, uh, but that evolved and changed um, and really became set the right tone for the rest of the scene. So Mark and Sam, what, what tone are you trying to set here? We've heard the scene. Like, what are you guys going for? I mean, it's, it's, it's drunken debauchery. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. I mean, but, it, but it's debauchery with, with your best, with like your best friend, you know what I mean? Um, you know, without giving too much, but it, it, it really is uh, like that reminiscent, those reminiscent moments you have with your friends um, over drinks and um, you know, just, you get so amped up in the, in the memory that you start to live it out with your friends again yeah and, and even if you are a little bit too old to be chugging beers um you know <laughs> it's that it's that you're in that scenario or that situation where you're with a and uh an old friend a childhood friend and you want to pick up where you left off if you haven't been uh, around each other for a while and uh, that's kind of what it is yeah there's something i love about that about this scene that even in that little bit also is like you get this like playfulness obviously and physically we would see that on stage we can't hear um you know a little bit of wrestling and beer chugging and that kind of stuff um and you get this sort of nostalgia where they're talking about this you know kind of uh, important experience that they had together but there's also this tension right like because the scene is they're talking about one of them punching the other in the face and breaking his nose uh and and that was supposedly for his benefit and so there is a yeah. little bit of like right like it's, it's it's performing multiple tasks it seems to me uh there and again uh, it, it gets to that subtext right we get oh what what happened back then right it's more of that sort of backstory but to me the thing that comes through there is there's a real tension in that playfulness that i thought you guys did really well it was a fun way to hide exposition at the same time it's like we needed to see this side of Riley or at least hear this side of Riley for the play to make sense. And it's like, well, how do we get that without that? Well, remember when kind of story, you know, it's it's an active moving the the energy forward, the play forward. And, and it does a lot in a little, you know, uh, two pages moves pretty quick like that. Uh, Dan, what, if anything, do you want our audience to know about this play before they arrive at the theater? Or do you want it to be a complete mystery no i think you know mark keeps going back to something that he talks about in the rehearsal process that has really kind of been um a theme throughout our, our development is that this play is not geared toward the people who would typically seek out a night of theater this is not you know this this there's a lot of people in my life that i love who i would never expect to see in a the theater right and I, I, one of the things that I've always loved about the theater is it really brings people together to have bigger conversations, right? And so the theater people who who frequent the theater will sit down here and go, "Oh, this is this is this is I can appreciate this. I can understand this is this is something that is um, it's still a piece of theater, and I, and I can I'm having a different conversation tonight. But I, the hope is that it also pulls in people who wouldn't typically be here, and you can understand, and that you can find a a, a, a common ground with with all types of people in this. 
And because uh, I think both of these characters would never step foot in a theater. It's just not their world. Um, but they're, they're, they would never refer to the, what they've gone through as trauma. They would never, they would just call it life. They're just, um, but they're really, everybody knows these guys. Um, so I think that's maybe something you come in for. Love it. All right. Well, this is, you know, primarily a podcast about playwrights. So um, I'd love to hit question for everybody. Who are some of your current favorite playwrights? Who do you, who do you, Sam and Mark, who do you like seeing? Who do you like performing? Uh, Dan, what do you, what, who do you want to go see when you go to the theater? Who's, who's revving your engines playwriting wise? I'll start off with the guy that has kind of been the biggest influence. I will always go to a Martin McDonough play. There's never a night when someone goes, do you want to go see Martin McDonough? And I'm going to say no. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Of course. What, which one, which, in my mind, which masterpiece tonight are we going to go see? Uh, and so I'll start off with, as like a, as a, as a longtime favorite, probably the person I, I blame most for getting me into the theater. Um, but that's my, my first initial one. Well, you're pushing my buttons, Dan, because I've, I have directed some McDonough, including um, a, a Behanding in Spokane, which is a delightful, nice. delightful play that features a, a full suitcase full of severed hands. So it's the funniest scene, but you didn't realize, like, who thinks of that? Who does that? <laughs> it's, fun, it's funny you mentioned McDonough because that was my um, senior thesis show in college. I, uh, I produced it. And I, I didn't direct it, but I, I was also um, an actor in yeah. it too. So. Yeah. And the pillow man. Yeah. The pillow man. Yeah. And um, I, thought, I thought that was a college. That was the first time I saw that. I read, I read that cover to cover yeah. and I um, said, oh, I didn't know you could do this. And that's literally the play that got me into college acting, got me into college writing. And there's, so I, again, I blame McDonald's. Well, who else do we like? Mark, we haven't heard from you. Who, who do you love portraying? Um, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of um, August Wilson to me is I always kind of go back every now and then. Um, Annie Baker, I really enjoy because um, I love how she, someone described it to me and, and I, I still just think that like her plays, they, though they might be long, there's no fat. There's no fat in these plays. And I was like, I mm. think that's, um, and uh, Jackie Sibley's, Jury um, yeah. is also a player that I really admire. Say one more time. You think you cut out for half a second? Uh, Jackie Sibley's Jury, Chicago-based, if I'm not mistaken. Mark, is that? I believe so. I believe so. I've also directed yeah. some Annie Baker, uh, and I'm right with you so there, Mark. Uh, <laughs> just brilliant, brilliant stuff. Not a word out of place. Uh, incredible. But sorry, yeah. I cut you off. You were going to say about uh, Jackie Sibley's Jury. I... Oh no, I know that she was. Um, I believe she still has some connections to a Soho rep um, and uh, recently saw some stuff there. That was pretty interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Not her, not her work per se, but I think, um, I think like more of like a mentorship program that she was a part of and playwrights out of that program were putting some new work up and it was pretty interesting. It was really good, really, really mm-hmm. interesting stuff like coming out of the, you know, response to the pandemic. And, and things like awesome. That. I'd say another playwright. I, I really like a, um, someone who's so active in the theater today. I love Hallie Pfeiffer's work. Um, she has a a viciousness that is so refined. I don't. She just can. She can just twist a knife with the best of them, 
And it's funny and it's unexpected. And she has these crazy long titles and she just makes up her own rules. And I, she, she, to me, is someone who just is theater. Like uh, she's a playwright. Like you look at her, oh, that's a playwright. Uh, she, she, she just, I've never had a bad night at a Halley Piper play. So, um, you, you also are a playwright, of course, Dan, which is why we're here talking to you. Um, I guess you could say that, um, you know, having just recently graduated with your MFA, um, you are embarking into the playwriting world. Like what's that like for you right now? Post sort of semi post pandemic, but not quite really post pandemic. You know, I'd say it was, I, I think graduating when, when into this world and they're not being theater and they're not being, you know, you're seeing a lot of these institutions we love, you know, succumb to the, the pressures of, 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 of what the world looks like now uh, in terms in just the pan, what the effects of the pandemic. And um, I think I needed to find creative outlet somewhere. So I needed to like write for a number of different places. Uh, you know, uh, I started doing sports writing. I started doing sports journalism, doing uh, different types of blogging, doing film work as well. I just tried to scratch that itch as long as possible. And now we're in that place. And I'm always in that place of like, I almost don't believe that it's back. You know, I'm having a hard time. Like I go, oh, should I be putting myself out there again? Or, or is that, you know, is that happening? And that's a painful thing. But I think the the, the wonders of Zoom allow us to, to kind of, um, B, I'm hoping that it allows us to expand the theater in terms of, you know, uh, not just being in New York or not just being in uh, Chicago. You can be in your your immediate community and boost that independence. So I'm looking forward to 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 regional theater again. I'm looking forward to, to seeing what what communities come together to tell their community story. I think that's going to be fun. Uh, and I think it's going to. I guess I got to put myself out there again. Uh. <laughs> well, things are happening here in Boston. I, you know, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of the fall season has, you know, had some really great plays already. Um, and and I'm delighted to note that, you know, no COVID outbreaks uh, in our audiences so far. Knock on wood there. But we've seen, you know, Hurricane Diane at the Huntington and... Um, sound inside at speakeasy queen's girl in the world over at central square and uh others lyric stages producing and so many more um so it's it's it is happening theater is coming back um thankfully thankfully wild wild to think about what it is all right well it was nice to talk to you about this uh this little play that you're doing but of course we really want to uh, play some games which is uh, uh what we've definitely got happening next so this is our playwright bad libs um which we're not calling mad libs because we don't want to get sued by somebody so this is where we're gonna we're gonna take a, a scene from a play uh last episode it was a new play actually this one we're mixing it up a little this is a, a scene from a classic play uh and dan i'm gonna give you some uh, uh parts of speech you're gonna fill them in and then our talented duo Mark and Sam are going to read this out for us uh, live and blind. You know, they have no idea what's coming. So uh, the first thing I'm going to do is we need to fill in. We need to fill in the thing. So first up, Dan, are you ready? I hope so. All right. I need a city. I need a city in the U.S. Uh, Let's go with Atlanta. Verb. Massacred. 
and a verb ending in ing. Trying. All right. And is that an adjective? Yeah, that's a verb. That's a <laughs> verb. <laughs> I know it's been a while for parts of speech, right? Yeah. All right. How about a noun? Recovery. All right. And an adjective. Happily. No, that's an adverb now. Trying. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. Adjective. What's to describe a noun? <laughs> yeah. Dopey. Dopey. Thanks, guys. We'll we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> they're gonna be whoever's listening, like, look, I guess you they're like, this guy's got a master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. Then I was getting anxiety myself because I was just like, oh my god, do I not know what these are? I don't think I don't know what these are. We need a few more here. Give me a give me a noun. A skull. All right. And a uh, family member. Uh does the deceased count? Uh yeah, it's both the deceased. Sure. Or deceased. I, I'm gonna go. We're just gonna go with it. We're gonna go with it. It's deceased. All right. Now I need a body part. Let's go with uh torso. Amazing. And a noun uh autumn all right and an adjective <laughs> uh bloody this is very very dark yeah right halloween is coming yeah all right and i need a noun uh neighbor neighbor and a time of day dusk can can it be four in the f and am four in the f and am four in the f and am that's it there you go. Plural noun. Geese. Geese, great. And uh, a number. Nine. And a place. Uh, Winnipeg. Come on. Winnipeg. Winnipeg. Thank you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be clever here. Yeah. The more you try to be clever, the less clever it's going to turn out, I think. Exactly. Yeah, don't, don't force it. <laughs> Is this some like weird take on our town? Is that what we're about to do here? Uh, not quite, actually. But uh, since you asked, I will tell you that this is a scene from uh, Death of a Salesman. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, maybe you anticipated a little bit there. Oh, boy. Here we go. Here. Mark and Sam, you have uh, your choice here. You can be Howard or Willie. Whoever speaks up first gets, gets it. I'll be Howard because it begins with an H. All right, here we go. Uh, Sam is Howard. <laughs> yep. Marcus Willie Loman. All right, and I'm I'm Willie Willie Loman. All right, here we go. All right, actors, are you ready for our updated our 2021 update of of Death of a Salesman? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> ready to go. All right, take it away. Willie, you can't go to Atlanta for us. Why can't I go? I don't want you to massacre us. I have been meaning to tell you for a long time now. Howard, are you trying me? I think you need a good long recovery, Willie. Howard? And when you feel, when you feel dopey, come back. And we'll see if we can work something out. But I got to earn skulls, <laughs> Howard. I'm in no position. Where, to... where are your deceased? <laughs> Why don't your sons give you a torso? They're working on a very big autumn. This is no time for false pride, Willie. You can go to your deceased and, and you tell them that you're bloody. You've got two great boys, haven't you? Oh, no question. No question. But in the meantime... Then, then that's that, huh? 
All right. I'll go to the, I'll go to Atlanta tomorrow. No, no. I can't throw myself on my deceased. I'm not a neighbor. Look, kid, I'm busy this four in the F and AM. Howard, you've got to let me go to Atlanta. I've got a lot of geese to see this morning. Sit down and take nine minutes and pull yourself together. And then go to Winnipeg, will you? I need the office, Willie. And scene. Man. Uh, Man. Wow, that was something else. I, I feel like the, we uh, created some magic there. Uh, it was a little dark. There was definitely, uh, you know, fit, fit, fitting the October season. Where are the bodies? Where are the bodies, Willie? <laughs> Go to your bodies. I'm, I'm not a neighbor. I'm not a neighbor. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a neighbor. <laughs> so good. <laughs> All right. Gentlemen, thank you so much for talking with me today. Uh, Dan, do you have a website where folks can go to learn more about you and your writing? Yeah, uh, I'm at uh, danielcblanda.com. I got to update that, I guess, because we're we're going out into the world again. But yeah, danielcblanda.com. All right. So Daniel C. Blanda, but maybe give Dan a week or so to like get that up to date. He's got, you know, uh, really young photos, apparently, of him on there or something (laughs) like that. Friends, Gone Nowhere opens on November 4th right here at Boston Playwrights Theater, 949 Commonwealth Avenue. Tickets and information can be found on our website, bostonplaywrights.org. It runs for two weeks only, and our capacity is lower than normal due to COVID. So don't wait too long to reserve your seats and find out what all this mysterious backstory is about. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Sam and Mark, for being here today and guesting on our podcast. And thanks to you, loyal audience, for listening in. I'm Darren Evans, and this is Typecast. Today's episode was produced and edited by Darren Evans, with invaluable assistance from Catherine Kitkat Giorgetti. The theme music is Off to Osaka, and the final credits music is Malt Shop Bop, both by Kevin McLeod. You can find his incredibly wide-ranging music at incompetech.com. That's I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H.com. This episode's parody commercial was written by Kit Kat Giorgetti, who also created our playwright Bad Libs from Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman. For more information about Boston Playwrights Theater, visit bostonplaywrights.org.